0: Hey all you people, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. My name is Dan Roselle and I'm joined by John Fisher. Say hello, John.
1: Hello, everybody. You indeed are the people that matter.
0: And to the people that matter, we have some interesting news on the NHL returning front where there's a plan in place. Obviously, there's plans floating around all over the place, but there's one that has teams returning to training camp uh, sometime in June with the intention to play the Stanley Cup playoffs in July. Of course, these are just the first rumblings of such news. But Mm -hmm. as we know more, we'll be sure to bring that to you as well. And safe to say our Devils won't be in the playoffs in July, but at the very least, we should have some clarity about where they'll end up drafting this year as the weeks progress here. So with that being out of the way, We want to move on to a game that we watched for this week, which involved the Devils taking on the Washington Capitals in Game 7 of the Patrick Division Finals, en route to the Eastern Conference Finals of the 1988 playoffs, which was the Devils' first playoff appearance. And it also included their first playoff series win and their first appearance in the Eastern Conference Final. But for some context into just how unlikely that run was by New Jersey, I'm going to let John take the floor here and talk through, you know, all those moments that made the 88 team really special from the win against the Blackhawks to taking out the Islanders in the first round as well.
1: Right. So the 1987-88 NHL season is an odd one. Um you know, your Hart Trophy winner was Mario Lemieux, who was a rare non-Gretzky winning uh, Art Ross champion for leader points. And points. That, and that Penguins team finished last in the Patrick Division with 81 points. The Islanders, who won the division and took on the Devils in the first round, had 88 points. That's right. There was a seven-point difference between first and last in the Patrick Division that year. It was a super tight race. In fact, the opponents uh, that the Devils played today, the Washington Capitals uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers, had the exact same record. I don't even know what the tiebreakers were back then. Uh Somehow Washington got the home ice. Uh, Needless to say, Hartford fans must have felt really lucky because they only had 77 points. But because back then the top four teams in your division made the playoffs, you were in no matter how junky you were. So the Whalers made it with a 35-38-7 record. I'm sure the Rangers and the Penguins fans were very unhappy about that. As mentioned, uh, the Devils in one of the most famous games ever – Um, John McLean scored the game winning goal against Chicago that gave him the tie breaking edge over our hated rivals because they both finished with 82 points, but the Devils had 38 wins. The Rangers had 36. So the Devils went on to the playoffs for the first time ever, which was a big feather in the cap of new GM. Lou Lamorello mm-hmm. he was hired as team president after the 1986-87 season and shortly before the season began he named himself as general manager and keep in mind the decision to name him president was a shocking one in the hockey world because Lou Lamorello came out of Providence college hockey in the 80s and and prior to that it was not well respected it was not seen as a hub of hockey you know, the general reaction was, you know, Lou never was a hockey player. He was never a pro. He never was in professional hockey. He's not from Canada. You know, he you, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but uh needless to say, the team making their first playoff appearance in New Jersey was a massive uh sign that Lou knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And the Devils, again, that team was um an interesting one, just looking back at some of the names that were on the roster that year. Kirk Muller, at age 21, was your leading scorer with 37 goals and 57 assists for 94 points, a record that stood until Patrick Elias uh, uh, pipped him with 96 points in two, um, about uh, 15 years later. Aaron Broughton and Pat Verbeek were his common wingers, and they were basically the powerful line. Verbeek set, scored 46 goals, a record that would stand until Brian Gianta scored 48 over 20 years later. Um John McClain was 23. John Sarrella was 24. Uh, Tom Curvers, a man who would be traded for a first-round pick in a couple years, uh, was still a regular on the Devils back then. And um, they also had this young guy named Brendan Shanahan at age 19 who played 65 games and scored 26 points that season. He, went, he would go on to have bigger years and a much, much, much longer career. And also of note is the Devils ran with three goaltenders with a young guy uh, taking the reins going towards the end of the season and ultimately became the main man of the playoffs. Elaine uh, Chevrier went from starter to scratch. Bob Suave went from number 2 guy to well, number 2 guy and 21-year-old Sean Burke took the reins with an impressive 10 and 1 record in his 13 appearances and a save percentage of 88.3 in this day and age would be terrible, but in 1988 that was very very good. You know, it was way better than Chevrier's eighty six point eight and Suave's eighty seven percent. So the Devils were one of those teams that they they're, you know, they were starting to be on the come up. A lot of their top players were still in their early to mid twenties. I believe Broughton was the only quote unquote old guy at twenty-seven. So there was a lot of reason to be excited if you were a New Jersey Devils fan. Now Let's talk a little bit about our opponent here.
0: Please. Well, I want to, before we divert to Washington <laughs> oh, themselves, I want to sure. just mention that, you know, we, we said last time that this is only two years removed from that game we watched with the 86 team, um, you know, 86 to 88. And the roster, you'd think it doesn't change over that much, but there's a lot of significant change, including one person on that 86 roster who's actually calling the game uh, this time around and... That all being said, there's a couple of key inclusions that you mentioned, Tom Curver's being on this roster, for example, that, you know, they Greg Adams switched sides for this game. Essentially, there's another very famous uh, future devil on the other side of Washington. But there's there are significant differences in the in the names that appear in 88 and 86, and they make up a lot of the difference that these two teams displayed. I mean, biggest name I can think of that I see between the two is Patrick Sundstrom.
1: Absolutely. And on top of that, that's a good segue to talk about Washington because Washington was in a – OK, let's take a step back here because I feel like we need to cover the, a little bit of history here. So when Washington joined the league, they were objectively terrible from 1974 through
0: 1982.
1: Mm-hmm. 82 was important because they hired this guy named Brian Murray. Um at, at, he he finished off the season, he got his first full season, and that was the first season that Washington, they made a 29-point improvement going from 65 points to 94 points in 1982-83. They made the first playoff run. And that would kickstart a playoff streak that would last all the way up until 1996. Mm-hmm. And Murray was effectively the coach of the 80s for Washington. And Washington ranged from being good to very good, but they could never, ever get over the hump. So, Going into this particular series, um, Washington – and mind you, this Washington team, just to add further context, they were led by Mike Gartner who scored 48 goals and had 81 points. They had a 23-year-old guy named Scott Stevens who was named to the first all-star team as a defenseman next to Ray Bork. So he was considered as one of the top defensemen in the entire league that season, who had a remarkable 12 goals, 60 assists for 72 points, 231 shots on net, and 184 penalty minutes. He was literally a do-it-all defenseman, including fighting. (laughs) He literally did all his own fighting. Uh, He was only surpassed in penalty minutes by legendary jerk Dale Hunter who had 59 points that season and 22 goals. The Capitals also had future Hall of Famer Larry Murphy, who was lined up next to Stevens on defense. They had the aforementioned Hunter. They had Dave Christian, who had a big year with 37 goals and 58 points. They had Swedish sensation Banked Ake Gustafsson, who had 54 points, largely with Christian. Uh, a 21-year-old defenseman named Kevin Hatcher, who would go on to be a legendary jerk of his own. Um, they had a lot of solid imp- uh, players in terms of uh, the aforementioned Greg Adams, Kelly Miller, Gary Gadley and Mike Ridley, who was one of their playoff uh, heroes. And this was a Capitals team that endured a seven games, excuse me, a seven game series over the Philadelphia Flyers. It was tough. It was nasty. It was close. But it was thought that, oh, hey, the Devils upset the Islanders in the first round. The Capitals are going to play them. Maybe this is going to be finally be the year the Capitals move on to the third round into the conference finals. Spoiler. No. And they would not do that. <laughs> they would not do that for a while in fact
0: yeah (laughs) i mean we all know how that ended up we know you know having the benefit of modern times and hindsight in combination we know the capitals eventually managed to parlay that success even though it took a different era of washington capitals to do so
1: yeah they made it to the conference finals in 1990 um where of course that was brian murray was fired midway through that season and replaced by another murray specifically um Terry Murray, and uh, that was their only conference final appearance all the way up until 1998 when they went to the uh, Stanley Cup final where they got destroyed by um, Detroit that year. Mm-hmm. And then, as you mentioned, they had another era. They had a total reboot. The ovechkin Backstrom era came in, and then they went back to not succeeding in the playoffs up until 2018.
0: So It took against an expansion team to do it, too. Exactly, <laughs>
1: and, and they nearly lost to that expansion team. Well, so, yeah. so, so, so if you're a, wa- so the reason why I'm explaining all this to all the listeners, all the the people that matter, is that Washington, the you have to understand the mindset of both the Washington organization and the fan base was that they cannot believe that they're in a game seven against this upstart Devils team that was up until 1988 was, uh, you know, a joke of a team. You know, they were never successful. They were never all that good. They never made the playoffs and they missed the playoffs by tens of points. Like it wasn't like they came close or anything like that. So this was supposed to be your time. This was, And this is coming off an 85, 80. I'm sorry. Two years earlier, they had 107 points. They won 50 games and that wasn't enough. So they're just like, what's it going to take? Surely we can beat the Devils. And again, spoiler, they didn't. So frustration was definitely on the menu at the Capitol Center uh, this evening for this playoff game seven.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was a hard-fought series. I mean, there's some blowout games for sure. It kind of was traded. I I think each team had like an extreme blowout in one case, and otherwise, there were some not-close games, but at the end of the day, it looks like the goal differential actually wasn't that wide. No, but...
1: No, but it was definitely a very up-and-down uh, series. Uh, game 1, Washington won 3-1. Game 2, the Devils rolled back and won 5-2. Game 3 <laughs> – oh, this is magical. The Devils won 10-4, to <laughs> which is <laughs> utterly remarkable. Yep. And then the, the Capitals responded two days later with a 4-1 win. Game 5, the Devils put the Capitals on the brink, on the brink, Dan, with a 3-1 win. Game 6 – they score 18 seconds in, and then Washington scored six straight goals in a 7-2 romping at uh, at the Meadowlands. And so we go into this game at the Capitals Center with, you know, Capitals fans just on the edge. They They want to see their team finally get over the hump. They want to go to that conference finals to take on Boston, who beat Montreal earlier. They want this, and the Devils— you know, they're very much a team that had everything to gain and nothing to lose. And that led to this game, which was both fast, furious, sometimes both, but no Vin Diesel. Not a lot of diesel in this game, but plenty of beef. There's Whole A lot of beef.
0: There's a lot of beef. And eventually the broadcasters were talking about how they seemed to think going into this game that these teams really, you know, looked up to one another. And there had been penalties, but nothing really— post-whistle, no bad blood, so to say, beyond just the score of the games. But uh, this game got a little <laughs> rougher, to say the least. And also, you know, by today's standards, this is a, one of the dirtiest games I've ever seen because everyone's just hooked the entire game.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's it's fascinating that, as you said, Peter McNabb, the color commentator, former devil, uh, said... Oh, you know, these teams don't hate each other that much. And then he retracted a statement early in the third year. He was like, okay, maybe these teams don't like each other at all. And Koharski is just going to let it go. And that's right. Our referee for this game was the infamous Don Koharski.
0: Yeah, so Don Koharski, who uh, would eventually be on the receiving end of a, a fun insult from one of the – well, no, from the coach of the New Jersey Devils uh, looked young to me, Jim Schoenfeld at the time. Oh, yeah? Um. We all know the famous have another donut incident, so we don't need to delve into that because it happens in the next round. But in order to get to the next round, the Devils had to play through this game, going into a hostile environment against a team that was by all measures better than them and was purported to be better than them. But we start off, and the first thing I notice immediately is that I didn't remember how many stripes the Devils jersey actually had.
1: (laughs) Yep, this was still back in the red, white, and green era. So, you know, I guess if you were doing a vintage night and you didn't want to hype up Chico Resch, this was your pretty, your, your, this is where all the highlights would begin because this was where the success began. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of love in showing random games from 1986 like what we watched. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, very interesting. And it didn't take long for the action to heat up because immediately the devils hit a counterattack. <laughs>
0: Yeah, with this insane line of Broughton, Muller and Verbeek, yep. which would definitely be the three most uttered names the entire game, besides probably Burke. And my god, these guys were flying to start the game early on and fourteen seconds in. Broughton to Muller, the Devils have a one nothing lead, and guess who was caught out on that play? It was none Scott other than Stevens. Scott Stevens exactly. I That's it's right. it's so weird to say that in general.
1: It's even weirder because even the color commenter was like, that's weird that he got caught up like that because it was a simple counterattack play. You know, Broughton was rushing up ice. Verbeek and Muller. Verbeek actually put on a great decoy. Stevens thought Verbeek was going to jump ahead. Muller just saw that and said, great, I'm going to get behind you. And then, you know, pass shot. Pete Peters got beat. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's like, like this is literally 14 seconds of the game. Both teams put out their best their best pairings like again Stevens is a future hall of famer Larry Murphy's a future hall of famer you wouldn't have known it from this clip
0: yeah and you're right and it's just weird because this is a fledgling stage of his career so I can understand where you know he cleaned a lot of things up by the time he got to New Jersey but he was already a really good player it's just that he in this case was caught sleeping by the the devil's speed line who was pretty relentless in the offensive zone the entire game
1: Yeah, they were clearly the Devils' most talented line and their best line going forward easily. And again, they were the top three scorers, uh, Muller, Broughton, Verbeek, in that order for the Devils that season. So it makes sense that they were a power line. Uh, The color commentator reminded everybody that the Devils scored 14 seconds in. However, they scored 18 seconds in the last game, and (laughs) that ended 7-2. So, you know, nothing is over yet. And then we got to see something really weird Ken Danico pinching.
0: That is exactly what I wrote. Danico pinching is a sight, and it was strange, and it's strange to see him with hair and hair coming out the helmet. He had the flow going, down. Yeah, he had really nice lettuce, and he just doesn't anymore. But he's pinching in on a play, which is uh, really a hallmark to tell you these are not the same devils that you've known. <laughs> these are these are the devils of old, where a young Ken Danico is pinching in to help on the offense.
1: Yeah, and it was very much representative of what I think the game was back in the 80s. It was very much a lot of dump and chase, a lot of jump into help, a lot of speed, but not. A, it wasn't very well structured. I don't want to go around and say the coaches did nothing, but this is not like the Lemare era. You can easily see how Jacques Lemaire and his neutral zone trap basically frustrated out all these other teams that were so used to just playing a free-flowing, almost soccer-like style where everybody just kind of flows in to help out and... Uh, you know, make the plays as necessary. And if you give up a counterattack goal, great, just go out and score a goal two minutes later because it'll yeah. happen.
0: Because <laughs> the goalies are rocking 860 save percentages oh, yeah. basically. the the, goalie,
1: the goalies are smaller, the padding is smaller, and just as importantly, they're not playing positionally. Um, they're not playing positionally. This is where Patrick Waugh's butterfly was such a game changer for goaltending. Mm-hmm. While he didn't come up with the, go- the butterfly stance, that came from, I believe, Glenn Hall. But the butterfly wasn't just, you know, hey, we're just going to statistically, you know, take away the uh, statistically most common area where goals are scored. It was also positioning it. It was also I'm going to sit in this form and dare you to try to beat me high, which is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, – When other goalies started learning that and the pads started getting a little bigger, all of a sudden those save percentages started rising up to 86, 87, 88, 90, 90 up until, you know, I guess a peak where we were about 10 years ago when it was like 92.3 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very much more, you know, goaltending back then was a lot more about reactions, more like a soccer goaltender. And, yeah, there's uh, a lot more kick
0: saves standing straight up, you know.
1: And and Sean Burke and Pete Peters demonstrated that in full, especially yeah. Sean Burke. He was very much on his uh, game early on because uh, he's he's flipping, he's flopping, but he's getting in front of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah, he has to be early on in the game. He has to be engaged early on in the game because the first penalty is against the Devils, it's against Pat Conacher, for mm-hmm. uh, hooking down Kelly Miller. And is an interesting tidbit there where Mike Gardner asked the fans over the radio uh, not to. Boo the Capitals power play because it was so disastrous. Oh, Um, yeah. um, So that was kind of a funny thing. It's, It's funny that players, you know, went on shows and asked for that specific thing. But it's cool. They get their first power play. And on the penalty kill, Patrick Sundstrom took an elbow from Greg Adams. Yep, the, the Jigs McDonald just casually mentioned, "Oh, we got sandwiched and elbowed in the head by Adams." Like, wait, where's the call? Yeah. <laughs> like, no call there, and Stevens uh, ended up taking a shot, for, a big shot from the point in Hallmark Stevens style. Burke makes the save. Now, at this point, you know Burke's getting tested a little bit, but he hasn't had to do all that much difficult saving. There's a lot more to come for him later in the game, um, and I really think that at a certain point, you have to attribute Burke saving this game for the devils
1: oh absolutely he he was there was a reason why the 21 year old took over from chevrier and suave up until the end of the season and in the playoffs because the guy was playing above his head and he was a big reason why the devils would come out with this game as the winners because there were a lot of a lot of shots where OK, Washington's accuracy, their shooting luck was definitely not in their favor this game. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple there was at least three or four tap in opportunities where Burke would get a toe on it or Burke would make a kick save or he'd get a stick out to deny the pass like, you know, plays that even in today's day and age where that would you would just watch and go, oh, that's going to be a goal. And Burke just somehow shut it down somehow. And similar to how Brodeur had some really big performances to keep the Devils in games they had for a while, no right to be in. Uh, there was definitely some stretches of this game where the devils had no right to be in this game. And Burke was the one why the devils were not losing in this game.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that all being said, you know, he continues to stay pretty solid in there and he has to, but the devils actually get uh, a bit of a break as Dale Hunter takes, he takes a penalty for high sticking and then he gets um, mixed up with Randy Velashek to take another penalty. It's just back to back penalties there. Uh, Yeah, Hunter
1: was very good at that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he he was known for that at a certain point. And um, the first one was for high sticking. The second one was a combination of high sticking that was wiped out with interference by Velashek. And interestingly enough, they still played five on five.
1: Yeah, Velashek just straight up threw a pick on a guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, Hunter, you know, his high stick is a legit high stick. Interestingly enough, earlier in the period, uh, Gustafson's stick was flung into the stands by uh, Verbeek after an offside call, Mm -hmm. no call whatsoever, because I guess the ref missed it. Uh, Back then, they only had one ref and two linesmen, who was the aforementioned Koharski. And, um, you know, there was just a lot of no calls, like straight-up trips and hooks and high sticks that were happening. So it was was odd to see that some of them were called and some of them just weren't.
0: (laughs) I, I think if they were blatant and obvious enough, then... Yes, I think they, they have no choice but to call certain things when someone's stick is, like, above their head. But, yeah, for the most part, there's so much that I think if people were coming from watching today's hockey, they're saying, oh, that's a hook. Oh, that's a that's a grab. Oh, yeah, that's interference. OK.
1: Yeah, but as the game went on, the, the, the fouls became more blatant and the whistles became a little less often because I believe Koharski, I guess, subscribed to the theory of it's a game seven. I'm not going to decide this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, much to the chagrin of the fans. Now, during this five on five situation, because they did call coincidental calls, uh, the Devils would go up to nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they made a big point. The commentators made a big point of this. Claude Loiselle won. He was a, apparently an ideal practice player, which sounded like damning with faint praise. <laughs> uh, you know, you're not good, but you're great in practice. Uh, but they also noted that he won a lot of face-offs in this series and in this game. And it led to. The second goal. Would you like to talk us through it? Yes.
0: Yeah, so the second goal is actually came after an opportunity by John McClain where he almost, almost, almost tips a puck in uh, very sneakily. And that was after Verbeek had displaced um, Stevens before that. But, yeah, so off the faceoff, it goes real quick. It's a pass from Sorella to Driver, and Driver's shot is tipped by Loiselle in front. So – you know, Sorella, as you watch this game, you can kind of see a style that resembles a lot of the later Devils defensemen in terms of being able to move the puck in that smooth skating from outside of his own zone. Now, granted, you know, the the entries are a little different because the game's different and it's way more dump and chase at that point. But to get the puck out, Sorella was, you know, he was as good as anyone on that Devils defensive core at the time. Right,
1: and keep in mind, Sorella and Driver was their top pairing. I believe the pairings were going Sorella and Driver as the top pairing, Wallenin and Danico as your second pairing, and oh goodness, the third pairing. <laughs> <laughs> it should it should be whoever's remaining, John, uh, Pervers. Tom Pervers and David Malley. Malley, uh, or melee. yeah, or Malley, whatever. They were they were non factors in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry to say, Mr. Kerbers, uh, this game did not convince me that you would be worth a first-round pick in 1991. Uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> anyway, but uh, you know this goal pretty much made all the Caps fans in, in the arena, and mind you, it was a full and loud arena. Like the Caps fans were here for this one. The the atmosphere was there, and the atmosphere went from oh no, it went right from oh no to oh no, mm-hmm. oh no. <laughs> oh no so and now and then all of a sudden they're just getting antsy about everything yeah everything you, you Bur- can kind of Bur- see the Rob energy in front burke robs gartner in front oh no the capitals get get a uh, power play because sean burke decided uh cross-checking miller <laughs> in front of the net was worth a roughing call which it was and then the fans did not listen to mr gartner and started booing the power play joe sorella took Dale Hunter basically suckered Sorella into a retaliation penalty, so, yep. so Sorella went off. So now, now your goalie took a penalty. Your one of your top defensemen took a penalty. It's a three on five for a minute of four. It carried over into the start of the second period, Dan. Well, How many shots on it did they get on that five-on-three, Dan?
0: Well, before we reveal the answer, let's take a short pause here to hear from some of our sponsors. It seems like a, a natural point because the Devils, oh, yes. we find ourselves cliffhung on a five-on-three leading to nothing going into the second period. So we'll be right back after a quick word here. All right, we're back, and we can say that on that five-on-three, uh, I don't think they took any shots. <laughs> they had no shots
1: on goal, And The work of Claude Loiselle, uh, Doug Brown, Randy Valachek, especially Randy Valachek, Peter uh, – pa- I'm sorry, Patrick Sundstrom. Peter Sundstrom was a capital. Hmm. Patrick Sundstrom and Craig Roland, they did awesome work on this uh, – Penalty kill, Loisel kept winning face-offs. These guys were getting in lanes. They were retreat, winning battles for pucks and just sending it away. Suntrim actually had a shorthanded opportunity um, after after uh, Miner was served and uh, Peters gave us another kick, you know, another kick save because that's what you did back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, fa- the refs started becoming a little more liberal with the no-calls <laughs> in this period <laughs> and, and the fans were just basically beside themselves because you had a minute for – 5 on 3 your team has Mike Gartner, Dave Christian, Mike Ridley who is apparently their leading goal scorer in the playoffs, Scott Stevens, Larry Murphy in the back and you got nothing to Sean
0: Burke. Mhm. Yeah, the Not Devils blood. the Devils killed this 5 on 3 with relative ease. I mean, they they really just really locked everything down and the Capitals didn't have a shooting lane the entire time. So, that go that comes and goes generally without incident and the power play you know the one that mike gardner said not to boo on the radio had given them plenty of reasons to to boo oh yeah totally
1: i mean if you're down to nothing it's game seven it's your home ice it's for a trip to the prince of wales conference final against boston and nothing (laughs) you get
0: nothing with two extra men on
1: the ice yeah exactly
0: (laughs) that's that's remarkable um and then the def- devil's well five minutes into the game or around five minutes into the period rather uh koharski catches kevin hatcher for high sticking as well and that's another one yeah another high stick and i think they just called everything that they couldn't generally characterize high sticking if the stick was anywhere near like their upper body i think there were some yeah. things that weren't expressly high sticks but were like the stick was there so we can call it that Yeah, pretty much. Well, then we're blessed with a Stefan Marbury Knicks ad, as this is a uh, recording of a classic Devils game. But the recording is from a while ago as well, when 2005, there you go. Stefan Marbury is a Knicks, so... If you remember that, well, man, oh, God, all ball. And and,
1: and later on, we got an ad uh, hyping up the Knicks Kings game where Stefan Marbury and Jamal Crawford were (laughs) going to take on the really difficult Kings team at home (laughs) in Sacramento, led by Chris Webber. And they showed Peja Stojakovic and didn't call out his name (laughs) because, you know, no respect for Stojakovic.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Shame. And also looks like the DVD player was just starting to uh, take hold at this time as well. Yep,
1: we got ads for DSL from Verizon. Yeah. We even we even got an anti-West Side Stadium ad because this was back, I believe, when the New York Jets owner, um, oh, what's his first name? I, I I forget his name. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Woody Johnson. Yep, uh, he was he he was already talking about, oh, I want to build a a football stadium in New York City. We could do the West Side of Manhattan, and everybody thought that was a terrible idea, and it obviously never happened. Right. Um. But that's the time period of where this game was recorded. Um, sorry to say we don't have any ads from 1988, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, uh, so th- that all being said, we got the penalty call on um, Hatcher right away. You know, that one comes and goes for the Devils. And then there's a period of time where teams are kind of trading opportunities, but there's not much going on. Uh, something does happen, though, where Tom Curvers, just a standard dump into the zone, um Curver's cross-check Ridley as he was cutting through. That's an easy call for the refs. They spotted that immediately. And this power play is the one where it started to turn momentum-wise for the Capitals.
1: Yes, they actually got a shot on goal. By the way, the Devil's power play that we alluded to earlier, we didn't mention much about it. We talked about commercials instead because that power play was bad. (laughs) And the Devil's power play, spoiler, was not good in this game. Uh, They were struggling to get forward. And as you said, this was the power play. The Curver's uh, penalty was You know, after three failures or technically four, if you include the five on three overlap, um, this is they finally got it right. The sixth time was the charm and uh, they actually got three shots on goal. Ridley got robbed in front by Burke's uh, toe. And um, shortly after this power play ended, the Capitals get on the board uh grant ledyard yeah (laughs) the legendary grant ledyard scored his first and only playoff goal of the 1988 campaign from the right point he just gripped it ripped it it probably hit off of driver or hit maybe adam's body but it was credited to ledyard off the front off the left post and in it's 2-1 and the fans go bananas everybody in that arena supporting the capitals was jubilant except for the one guy they showed on TV because his air horn failed him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, this was this was definitely a case of if the power play had expired five seconds prior, that's probably – or maybe even two seconds prior, that's probably not a goal as Tom Curvers was just about to get back into frame when that shot was yep. delivered.
1: Yeah, but when Ledyard was winding up, Curvers was a good 30 feet away in the neutral zone. You could see – you could almost hear him going, "No." <laughs> And Ledyard, who had like 20 feet of space all around him, because nobody cares about Grant Ledyard, uh, (laughs) you know, he just kind of, again, gripped it, ripped it, and, you know, seeing I shot a hit a body and it went in. It's 2 1, and now we get some beef.
0: Yeah, we get a lot of beef. There's there's a lot of tussling. John (laughs) McClane is uh, notably involved, as is. Um, you know, th- there's a couple players there. There's
1: Greg Adams, who ran in in this one and got a roughing call for being the third man. In.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, Sundstrom was in that scuffle as well. Um, Larry Murphy was in there. So a lot of good players being taken off the ice for uh, matching roughing penalties. And that could be a reason where the Devils, you know, playing with those guys all in the locker room f- to see out the end of the second period they actually give up a goal with six seconds left in the period.
1: This was a gut punch. Uh, there was just mayhem. Like the Capitals were really starting to – uh, uh, to use this Cangelosi phrase, they were buzzing. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were buzzing. It was like a beehive was in the middle of the zone. Uh, eventually the Capitals um, get the puck back to Gary Galley. He's at the center point. And despite the best effort of um, – I want to say it was Aaron Broughton. He dove trying to deny the shot. He failed. Uh, Gallery just kind of floated a shot. It hit Hunter's glove, mm-hmm. and it just floated in past Burke. Burke was stunned. Six seconds left. It's now two to two going into the third period. I'm My not... comment I wrote was oof with five O's.
0: Hey, I'm not sure how this gets credited to Gally at all.
1: Well, I think I think the idea was that because it was an accidental hit, and maybe, well, the commentators noted that it yes, it hit Hunter's glove. Yeah, but because Hunter didn't like guide it, like he didn't like you know, you know, yeah, he didn't direct it.
0: That that rule hasn't changed, but the point is, why would it not be credited to him anyway?
1: You know, Dan, I'm not sure. And and to be fair, in the larger larger scheme of things, does it matter that Galley got his second
0: goal of the playoffs off this? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter. It was just weird in know, terms of the do. box score. I didn't like I was yeah. like, there's no way that tipped off anyone. You watch the replay back and it is for sure tipping off Hunter's glove. Like there's no question about it whatsoever. And this is like you said, after Bedlam in the devil's zone.
1: Yeah, I I, I wish I had a good explanation. Um I don't. That's that's fine. But the the larger point is the same. We go into the third period. It's now two to two. And now the capital fans are super happy. They're hopeful again. They're you know, they're feeling good. And the devils I'm sure if you know, if you and I were there back then, um, despite the fact that you weren't even close to being conceived and I was (laughs) be five, you know, we probably would be you know, constant, you know, just talking to ourselves going, What in the hell is happening? Is this is this how it's really gonna end? You know, is it gonna end in this third period? Well it turned out no well, it would end for somebody in the third period, but it wasn't gonna be for, for the Devils.
0: Well uh, I was yeah, so looking at this now, um I Maley was not our last defenseman since he was on that line that was mentioned with Sullivan and Carlson that were not out for this third period at all. They were not deployed in the least, nor was Washington's fourth line. So I think we're we're missing yeah, a defenseman the- somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering who I got it wrong with. Uh it,
0: did you say Willen?
1: No, Willen was with Danico. He okay. was
0: definitely playing.
1: He yeah. was definitely playing. Yeah, he was uh, he
0: was all over the place.
1: I am quickly checking. It wasn't Anders Carlson. Was... No, Velischek was on the penalty kill.
0: Well, I'm I'm saying that that sixth defenseman that we uh forgot the first time was not Melee.
1: Okay, well, we definitely saw Velischek. We definitely saw that. Yeah, attack. we saw. It
0: just means we saw all the defensemen. I think that's what we're saying. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I apologize. I, I well, no matter. <laughs> the, benches are, the benches are shortened.
1: It's that not only the benches are shortened. Don um uh, willingness to use his whistle just went down to nothing. Disappears. <laughs> like I, I, I was watching this, I made a comment, a brief comment on Twitter. Like, how would social media have reacted to this third period? where literally every shift had a hook, a slash. Maybe every three shifts there would be a trip <laughs> or a high stick. Like, <laughs> like it was blatant. Like, we're not talking, like, little, like, you know, oh, I hit you on the hand stuff. Like, we're just straight-up water skiing out there. Like, there was even a play where Pat Verbeek literally hooked his man for, you know, a good five seconds to win a puck to get a shot on that. And Kohar, just like,
0: meh. I mean, third period of it a game seven – I've, you know, we've seen refs eat whistles in that situation before, but when you've called as much in this game as they had, it just looked completely out of place and weird that they were suddenly calling nothing. And, you know, if you need a little bit of energy to start the third period after you've just given up a goal late in the second, and you are Jim Schoenfeld, who do you throw out there first to try and rejuvenate the Devils in some way? The Muller line. Perfect. So Muller... Beek and Broughton start off the third period. They get a few opportunities there, and then Gardner almost walks in all alone. Where Sean Burke is thinking, "Okay, this is the save I have to make, or I won't be remembered fondly for a while." And uh, luckily for him, he didn't have to make that save at all, given that um, there was a two-line pass that occurred
1: That's on the right, way to it, uh, uh, sent it
0: along. Yeah, right, and. It was weird because I saw that play initially and I was like, oh boy, that's just a good pass. And I forgot totally that it was illegal back then. And Gardner was denied his glorious goal scoring opportunity. But that's the point where the devil should be realizing that this game is vulnerable. Like they've gotten this far. They had a two nothing lead in this game. You cannot be allowing Gardner to walk in like that. He's a Hall of Fame goal scorer. And I think a lot of people knew he was headed there even at this time. Well, I don't think they knew he was going to necessarily be a Hall of Famer, even without that. Like, he's had 48 goals that season. Yeah. Like,
1: he, he's their main man, their top scorer, the big name, and super fast. Like, keep up with him. Um, but more seriously, though, um, you know, early on, I thought the Devils did a decent job of trying to go after the game, so to speak. This was something that Peter McNabb kept saying over and over again. Like, the Devils just can't hang back. you got to— You got to go for this game. You just got to go for it. And unfortunately, the Capitals eventually after a little bit after that uh, Gartner breakaway, Stevens had a huge shot on that that led to a bigger glove save by Burke. Mm -hmm. And as much as as great as that looked, that was, I think, in my opinion, a turning point, because now all of a sudden the Capitals just start tilting the ice against the Devils and the Devils are just not able to get a lot going for the next seven minutes like most of that game. You know, up until halfway through the third period was pretty much a New Jersey's end of the rank, mm-hmm. which, as as mentioned, was why Burke was so great. But at the same time, it's like, hey, Devils, hey, Devils, wake up, <laughs> You're, not, not not just wake up, but like win a battle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stop dumping it away. Stop clearing the puck into nowhere where Stevens or Murphy was going to collect it and send it back in. I mean, you had um, let's see, I want to get his name right here. Kelly Miller had mm-hmm. a tap-in attempt that uh, he deflected – that uh, was deflected away. Ridley had a great shot that led to a jam and thankfully a hand pass bailed out the Devils. The fans wanted to delay a game call, which apparently I didn't know was a thing in 1988. I guess it was back at the referee's discretion as opposed to the automatic rule that we have today. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that closing your it, hand
0: around the puck thing?
1: No, no, no. Clearing the puck out of, oh, out of the zone oh, intentionally, yeah, yeah. like over the glass.
0: Yeah, that wasn't a um, thing until like post-lockout, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. But the but the fans and even the, even the jigs brought it up, saying, "Oh, the fans want to delay a game call." I'm like, "Wait, you you could do that?" <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's when delay well, of th- game
0: was still a subjective measure.
1: Well, thankfully Kohashki decided against it. Right. Um. Here here we go. Craig Willanin hooked Kelly Miller for a good ten seconds in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yet Miller Miller somehow not only turned him turn around, Willanin won the puck, kept the puck away from Willanin. And, you know, still got a shot on net. So good job, Will and your hook was totally ineffective and <laughs> amazingly did not get a penalty because Don Kowarski just put his whistle away. Um, Burke falls Burke falls on Augustus' shot. That was a bit scary because, you know, there was a capital lurking in the area. The capitals are just flying. <laughs> yep. Oh, goodness. Like, it was, it was a good seven, eight minutes before Pete Peters had to make a save.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, in this time, the Devils – we're trying to throw some stuff, and really, the only line that can manifest anything was that Verbeek line we keep talking about.
1: McLean almost had an opportunity that led to Pete Peters skating 50 feet out of his net to clear a puck away mm-hmm. to deny McLean a potential breakaway. But you know, McLean also had I think either Stevens or Murphy just kind of riding him. So, meh. And um, then we finally, then we finally get Muller's line to get a shot on net. Yes,
0: in like nine minutes. They take a shot, and you know that's after. Kelly Miller tries a spinorama move, which I was not expecting to see in 1988. Let me tell you for uh, sure that that wanted... was not something I wanted, uh, that I like knew was coming. Everybody wanted to be Denise of Ard back then, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no dice on that move, and Driver lost in his skates during that opportunity, and Hatcher got a shot off. But yeah, so the Devils, Velashek took a big shot that was turned away by Peters, and following that, there was a long opportunity for the Devils in the zone as they... There was a turnover that happened. Washington did clear out of the zone, but 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 it hit off one of their own players and hopped back into the zone, so the Devils did not carry the puck in in an offside position. Yes, they had players already in the zone when it came out, but because the Capitals took it back in, the Devils were all right. And that is extra important because at that point, uh, a shot that was sent towards the net by Craig Wolanin, was tipped by John McClain right over Pete Peters, giving the Devils the very late 3-2 lead in a Game 7. We've seen late leads in a Game 7 before for the Devils.
1: Yeah, so so the whole point, like even before that shot by Willanda, the Devils came close to going up because Mark Johnson uh, got, you know, recovered the puck after Sundstrom fought off a defender, literally fought off a capital, and Johnson took the puck, found McClain in front, but... Either the pass wasn't super good, or the shot went wide, or Peters made a save. Like it just didn't go, so to speak. Mm-hmm. McLean did a lot of hard work to win the puck from from his man, get it back up to Willanen. Willannon just had to go, McLean, and he fired. fired what they would call a perfect, what they would call a heavy shot. Mm-hmm. That back then. You know, defensemen scoring from 60 feet, I guess, was a thing that people expected to happen regularly. We know better now analytically that that's a terrible shot to take. But back then, the idea was you want a defenseman who can keep his shots low and quote unquote heavy so they don't rise up on you that much. So this way, yes, it may not get through cleanly, but if you can, it's more likely to be tipped because your stick is supposed to be on the ice if you're not – if you don't have the puck. And so, when Lennon fired this perfect shot that was barely an inch off the ice, McLean gets his blade on it, redirects it perfectly up and past Peters. And then Ken Danico flies in to tackle McLean in celebration. <laughs> they wrestle <laughs> to the, the Cap- ice. <laughs> and, and, you know, the Capitals are chasing Koharski, and Koharski's like, nope, nah, nope, that's a good goal. It's not offside. You put him back in. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian Murray was not happy about it, Jim Schoenfeld was. Well, he was just trying to, like, calm his guys down. And uh, fun fact, this was John McClain's first goal of the series.
0: Wow. This was his fifth goal of the playoffs, but first goal of the series. So the Devils had to get to this point, including winning a game, you know, winning games 5-2 to two and 10-4. to four without john mcclain contributing goals which is shocking to say the least
1: yeah he finished he finished the playoff run just to jump ahead a little bit with seven goals and 11 assists like he finished tied with mark johnson in points and just behind patrick Sundstrom's 20 for the scoring lead among the team in the postseason so it's not like he was a scrub like he had 50 shots on net too like he led the team in shots or i'm sorry he was behind tom curvers in shots my mistake Mm -hmm. um but he, he had – he was trying out there. It's not like the McLean-Sundstrom-Johnson line was necessarily bad, but they were definitely outshadowed by the Mueller line. Um, I will say that McLean had a pretty rough season in the sense that he only had 23 goals and 39 points in 76 games. It was definitely a down year for him. But you know, it is surprising to hear like, wait, that was his first goal. Like he's still a part of the top six. He was still an important part of the team. He would go on to continue to be an important part of the team. Mm-hmm. And – so, to hear that you know, in this wild high scoring nineteen eighty eight playoff series, this was his first one, and it wasn't even a direct shot on it; it was a deflection um but hey, you know, any port in a storm is always welcomed, and mm-hmm. he get he got the devils into a port amid the capital storm,
0: and yes, he did, and the devils take a three two lead. And moments later, there's a two-on-one opportunity for Mark Johnson and Pat Conacher that, you know, Johnson can't get anything good on. But at this point, the Devils are playing with the lead. So how do they yeah. adjust to that after seeing Washington tilt the ice for a bulk of the third period and a lot of the second period? Well, they did just fine, honestly. They they they, they yeah they they, they stayed solid and you know Conacher had another opportunity to go towards the empty net when that happened and. Was hooked off the puck in a play that I can only describe with the words "awarded goal" in these days. But <laughs> yes,
1: um, yep. Um, I believe was that Stevens or Murphy. I can't remember. I think it
0: was Murphy, but yeah. I mean, he's in all alone. He gets hooked on the hands, and there's an empty net. Uh, that's an awarded goal by today's measures, right? That's just oh yeah, a absolutely. Up goal.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the game the game gets it goes back to being super physical. The Devils intentionally slow things down, and because they know the Devils are. I'm sorry, the ref isn't calling anything. You know, even the Devils got nastier. Joe Sorella dumped down Yvonne Corvo, who poor Corvo, he just got dumped like three times in yeah. a five minute span. Um, you know, uh, Christian had an op- wide open net deflection, but it went wide, thankfully. Christian, Dave Christian, came very close to tying this game up, but that wasn't happening. It was pretty much no rules hockey. Um, well,
0: someone hit a post.
1: Yeah, uh, Christian hit a post, mm-hmm. I believe. But then we got to see the McLean line shut down the neutral zone for Washington with a minute 43 to go. So Peters can't leave the zone. Um, McLean and Hunter get into some nonsense because McLean grabbed his Hunter stick as they were trying to get off the ice. And, of course, Hunter took exception. And then backup goaltender Clint Malarchuk got involved. (laughs) I mean – and the, and mind you, this entire time, the crowd is just loud. Like the crowd is just trying to like – almost trying to will the Capitals to an equalizer here, mm-hmm. which by all means go for it because um, nothing else is happening. Um, Gartner gets a good opportunity in front and we got yet another big kick save by Sean Burke. I w- I should have been writing kick save in a butte. I probably would have written it seven times if that's <laughs> alone. Um, Peters finally gets out with a minute three to go. And then we see the Devils really take care of business. Sorella with an awesome clearance. Then Driver with a big clearance. Conacher gets the puck after a dump it. Um, he got to, sh- you know, again, he, he Stevens hooked him like crazy. That would have been an awarded goal. And then we see Gartner dump it. So clears it, and then amazingly, Larry Murphy, future Hall of Fame defenseman, Larry Murphy decides, I'm going to
0: ice this puck. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they ice the puck, Washington does, and that's with nine seconds left. I want to backtrack to 16 seconds left. That was an offside. Oh, yes. I think these two teams played the slowest 16 seconds I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yeah, it was definitely slowing it down. It was after an offside. And tellingly, like this was the line for the Devils. This was very much their, quote unquote, their checking slash penalty killing unit out there. You had Sorella and Driver along with Claude Loissel at center who would, of course, win the faceoff with uh, Brown and Patrick Sundstrom going up against Gartner, Ridley, Hunter, Stevens, Gustafson and Murphy. So basically Washington's top forwards and defensemen. Um, versus the devil's checking unit, so to speak. The color Peter McNabb mentioned he got doused by a beer. Jig's like, oh, well, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. He's like, "Eh, except I'm wearing it. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're right. The Capitals actually did win the draw. Loisel didn't win it. But then Murphy decides, I'm going to throw the puck in from behind the red line. So that's icing. Sorella amazingly uh, won the race for it. And then nine seconds left, which, mind you, took three minutes to
0: get to. It it took so (laughs) long because they kept trying to switch up the matchups. And there was some sort of...
1: There was a debris on the ice. Somebody must have thrown one of their pom-poms on the ice in anger.
0: It took so guess... long that they almost cu- uh, cut to commercial with nine seconds left in the game. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Exactly. And then they, then here's, another, here's a weird thing. One, they put Peters back in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which the, the, the commentator is like, why? <laughs> What's <laughs> the point of this? It's nine seconds left. Either you give up the ENG or you miracle an, a goal yourself. Like,
0: yeah, but you need as many people on the ice as possible to do that.
1: But they decided to do an, what they called an old trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they put four on the face off and they would have their fifth skater hanging out at the bench on the thinking that, OK, once the play starts, they'll jump over the boards and already be ahead up the ice. Right. And, and Schoenfeld, being not an idiot, decided to tell Sorella, go to the center line because just wait for this guy to come on. <laughs> and of course, it never happened. It's over. The Devils win. Schoenfeld runs onto the ice. Capitals fans are just distraught. Yep. They all look like they just saw, like, somebody die. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they don't know, like, to be – like, some are obviously angry. Some are upset. Some are resigned to the uh, fate of the Capitals as it was the 1980s for the Washington Capitals. We have a very quick handshake line, and I mean a very quick handshake line. Yeah. And while Jigs and McNabb are talking about how this is devastating for the Capitals franchise, which honestly, yes, it was. Because mm-hmm. if you're the Capitals at this point, it's like, well, what do you do at this point that the Devils lost? Hey, it's your first playoff run. You know, you're playing with house money effectively this season. Yeah. The Capitals, it's like, well, what else do you do? You had a 48 goal scorer. You've got Stevens and Murphy. Stevens was a top defenseman that year in the league. You know, y- yes, you-, you won a hard-fought series against the Flyers. You drew possibly the best possible matchup between the Islanders and the Devils, and you went into your home rank for Game 7. You tied it up, and you couldn't beat Sean Burke.
0: Mm-hmm. Not once. Well, so so that all, you know— it reminds me I mean the re- crowd reaction has shades of devils two thousand nine in it for sure it, it yeah awful, awful shades of that happening, and you can understand their feeling, but it really did change both of these franchises fundamentally for the next however many years,
1: oh, absolutely, I mean, yes, for the devils, you know they okay, they stumbled the following season, but it would be the harbinger of the devil's rise in the, for the mid Mm -hmm. nineties. You know, you could say this had the building blocks. It was a sign that, you know what, with Lou Lamorello, you know, the devils may have the right guy, you know, putting the puzzle pieces together, so to speak. Whereas with the capitals, it was just more frustration. And, um, you know, there was a massive decision I want to say in the early night. I'm sorry, in 89, I want to say where they made a very big franchise altering move, um, a panic move. I would describe in retrospect where, Stevens eventually was allowed to go to St. Louis as a free agent. Cicerelli, who eventually joined the team, would move on. Gartner would no longer be a capital for very long. And it was almost like the Capitals would still be a good team, but it's like, but you're never, you're never going to be the team. You're Mm -hmm. never going to be the top team in the Patrick or in the Wales or in the league. You're going to be. You're going to be kind of where the Winnipeg Jets was in the Smythe Division, constantly being behind you know the more successful Calgary and Edmonton teams of the eighties and kind of in the mix of where Chicago and St. Louis was back in those days, either where yeah, you had some good seasons in retrospect, but who remembers them because you know you didn't win anything and you weren't that impressive.
0: Right, and we know what happened, you know, in this run for the Devils specifically. They go on to face Boston. They lose in seven games, but they can be proud of their performance there. And again, I, I don't think it would have mattered even if they had. It would have mattered from a, you know, from a achievement perspective had they gotten to the Cup final. But I don't think they had any sort of aspirations about winning that Cup final, given the fact no. that on the other end was uh peak Gretzky Oilers. Yeah, you were not. <laughs> yeah, Boston,
1: you know had a very good season. They won 44 games. They had 94 points. They beat Buffalo, Montreal and the Devils on the way to the Stanley cup finals. And then Edmonton was like, yeah, we're winning for nothing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they they just made it look easy, right? They they had won um, their fourth Stanley cup in in what would going to be the past five seasons at that point. So there was not much anyone could do to stop them. So I don't feel too bad. You know, it feels better knowing that the devils upset some people rather than, get so close to the cup and not even come within, just be fodder, you know, for this Oilers dynasty.
1: Exactly. But it was, as mentioned, you know, the harbinger of what would come, you know, with the proper management style of Lamorello and, you know, some of these names, you know, did not last into the 90s per se, but a number of them were hung around and they could turn around and say, look, we've been through the tough times, we've been through the struggles, but we started to taste some success and we want more of it. Guys like McLean, Driver, Danico, um, and and others like him. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and so all that being said, we're going to move to another era of Devils hockey from this one. And John, do you want to introduce the next contest we'll be covering?
1: That's right. So this is a game that was actually uploaded by the NHL. So no copyright claims, no worries about the game being taken down by anybody because I would hope the league owns the rights to the game. It's the league. But this goes back to uh, goes back to the final season at the Continental Airlines Arena. And just before that season ended, there were some tumultuous times for the New Jersey Devils. They were a very good team. They were on their way to lock up the division. They just fired Claude Julien to avoid a player's mutiny. But also at the same time, Martin Brodeur was chasing history. He was chasing Bernie Perrant's single season record for wins in a season. And in their penultimate game of the season, they would take on the Philadelphia Flyers, the same team that Perrant played for, in the hopes of getting that 48th win. Spoiler, he got it in this game. But we're <laughs> going to talk about it. Not a spoiler, if you want to be surprised at how this game goes, don't look at the box score. Don't look at my recap or whatever I wrote back in 2007 uh, for that time. But we're going to be talking about that game uh, between the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia Flyers. And it's going to harken back to a time where the Devils were winning divisions. They were looking strong. Lou was behind the bench. And, you know, lots of hopes and dreams for that Devil season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so unlike that 88 Stanley Cup final in which there was a power outage, we will continue to bring you uh, content uninterrupted in terms of the games that we're covering. So with Brodeur's record-setting single-season win to take us next, we're kind of gotten into a pattern here, I'd have to say, uh, just off the cuff of back and forth. One game, you know, Devils as a team, big achievement, one game, Brodeur. (laughs) Well, when you
1: play a long time and achieve as much as Brodeur does, you know, a lot of your highlights and big games are going to involve Martin Brodeur. I mean, it's like if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, you know, you're just going to cover a lot of Wayne Gretzky. I mean, just, <laughs> that's just how it is. Yeah. If you're a Penguins fan, it's going to be a lot of Lemieux, some Crosby, and maybe some Jager. Hey, it just is what it is, you know. If you're covering the New York Giants, it's... Um, LT. Well, I was going to say, well, now that I think about it, that's a terrible comparison because there was a lot of roster turnover with the giants uh, successful teams oh, um oh, well, yes. but you know <laughs> okay that strike that example from the record but the point <laughs> is is that there's a lot of good stuff to watch a lot of achievements let's relive those achievements together
0: yeah and like we said off the top if there's any development in terms of the season coming back we'll be sure to talk about them on the podcast as well but since that's not the case for now As usual, I'll link the full video that we're watching on this week's podcast post, and we'll be sure to catch you guys back here next week as we break down another record set by Martin Brodeur, the greatest goalie of all time. I don't care what anyone has to say. (laughs) that all being said thanks again for joining us for this episode a super fun episode of garden state of hockey featuring the you know when you think of success for the devils you don't often think of this team but they were by all measures uh very successful for not only just relatively but in general in the nhl that year so good for them good to look back and as usual as we go into next week and the weeks ahead let's go devils go devils have a good one everyone talk to you soon